The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. For as little as $5 per month, you can help keep the show ad-free while also helping to fund our annual updates to our 2021 FBS team profiles. On that note, our Tier 2 Patreon supporters receive access to our daily updated depth charts, including transfer and injury news, other personnel moves, as well as individual player ratings, coach and team performance history, in-depth returning production numbers, power rankings, and point spread projections, and much more for all 130 FBS teams. Visit patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge for more details. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish with a new hairstyle today at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Nick, what's going on, man? How's your weekend? Uh, pretty good. Uh, big big event of the weekend. Actually, my uh, the, the soccer team I follow is in the uh, final. If they if they win the the playoff final on Saturday, they'll be back in the Premier League for the first time in a, a few years. So excited about that! That was that was good. Looking forward to to watching that on Saturday morning. Uh, but otherwise, you know, a, a lot of my last couple of weeks, it's dragged out. Kind of like every project this year, dragged out a little longer than expected. But finally put the the finishing touches on our uh, very in-depth, I think probably the most in-depth uh, returning production database maybe that you'll be able to find out there in, in uh, on the college football internet. So uh, put the, the final touches on that, updated all our returning production percentages in our FBS team profiles. And uh, yeah, so that, that took a, a I, I stayed up pretty late last night, I'm dragging <laughs> a little bit today, but I uh, was happy to get that done. We've got something like three dozen uh, different statistical percentages, passing yards, you know, total pressures, havoc uh, plays, all, all kinds of good stuff. So It's very rare uh, that you see Nick tweet uh, a celebration about something, <laughs> and there was definitely a celebration tweet that this work was done. So, uh, congrats, man! I mean, it's a lot of work, and and it's awesome. And you guys should definitely check it out at Patreon.com/slash/CFPWinningEdge. So, uh, lots of work done, uh, Xavier. Your weekend looks like it was fairly interesting, and we know you had a birthday. So, happy birthday, first of all! And you are yes, what twenty five now? Yes, I can. I can rent a car by myself. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You also, it looks like, you know, because we've talked about potential hair bets before, but uh, yeah, you, you let one of your friends know that if you hadn't dyed your hair by your birthday some time ago, you would let her dye it. And uh, she didn't forget, but you did. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make bets that you're not going to keep people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, to, to Nick's point. We do know Nick watches soccer more than he watches the NFL. So, you know, I, I'm not even going to give him crap for that because I, I, oh, I, I know he spends his whole he Sunday EFL recovering from Saturday. 
that's fair. He, sp- he, he spends his whole Saturday uh, or Sunday recovering from Saturday after doing all the work. Uh, so, so I'm I'm not going to give him too much of a hard time for watching the wrong type of football. You know, it, it's okay, it, it's fine by me. So, um, and and look, the seasons run in different times. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, there's not they, a lot of they, all, they overlap. Mm, there's a yeah, they there's overlap. a the the beginning of the soccer season is definitely in the season, college football course. season, but it does mm-hmm. they stretch it out a good bit. So the the back half or how I bet you Nick isn't paying nearly as much attention in that part, the beginning part. So. That is that. <laughs> well, you Accurate, know, it, right? it kind of works out. Timing wise, where a lot of the games are early in the morning before here in, the, in the U.S. before everything mm-hmm. else starts. Yeah. So okay. We'll we'll see if if uh, if if my Swansea City is uh, back in the Premier uh, League next year, I'll definitely be waking up early and, and watching some of those. But uh, if not, then yeah, I pay a little less attention. Probably turn. I got you. I got you. Well, look, it's it's uh, a crazy beginning here. We've talked about soccer and hair. So, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's let's dive in here. And I love this subject today. And Nick has agreed to be uh, on with me on Sports Grid this weekend. We're probably going to talk about a lot of the same stuff on that show, too. But, uh, you know, win totals have come out. And mm-hmm. now that everything is input into Nick's system, we have win total numbers. And there are 39 instances in which our projected win totals differ by plus or minus one win, which is an enormous number in betting. So, uh, Nick, why don't you just start us off and explain why one game is so big? Well, I just tried to put a, you know, tried to tried to have a criteria to where, you know, what set of game or teams uh, am I really going to dig in on? Because if if our projected win total for you know, team X is 6.44 and and the uh, posted win total at at DraftKings, which is the one that everybody's talking about this week. uh, First one's up, uh, I think. Then, you know, if if it's six and a half or or even seven or six, you know, that's that's not really much of a difference for us to, I think, spend a lot of time worrying about. You know, a lot can happen. A team can win a game it's not supposed to. A team can lose a game it's not supposed to. But when we see, you know, over one win difference, one, I just kind of wanted to cut the number from 130 down into a, a a chunk that, you know, was was a little more digestible. And then at that point, we're actually, I think most of the ones we'll, we'll talk about today, there are only seven in which the difference was actually two or more wins one way or the other. And so, you know, uh, I I certainly wouldn't suggest anybody go out there and and, uh, bet 39, you know, win totals for for a variety of reasons. But, you know, seven... That's 39 might be a a bit much. It might be a bit much. And, and, you know, tying up your your money for however many months uh, because these won't pay out until, what, January, even though they they are settled in in, uh, December. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, something that I do think there is value. First of all, there are some of these that I want to go out and, and bet. And for whatever reason, as we're talking on uh, Tuesday afternoon, these were posted, I believe early Monday morning, maybe. And, and I could click through, somebody put a link on, on Twitter and I could see them on my phone. But when I'm trying to, to go to my, 
you know, workstation and and actually take a little bit of a, a deeper dive into these. I'm not sure if they're not available on in, in New Hampshire. What I can't find them on the, huh. the DraftKings mm-hmm. website. So maybe there's maybe there's something I'm missing. I don't. Maybe know. Maybe it's but, a preview or something before they go live. I don't maybe know. That's but but yeah. hopefully, if if somebody out there is is listening, you know, if it is that my state's not for whatever reason ready to go, hopefully, you know, there's some opportunity, maybe some value for some folks out there that are in a, a better situation or, you know, just kind of getting our bearings on on some of these numbers a little bit, because part of the reason, you know, two wins is is a big, that's a big difference. You know, if we think a team is going to win eight games and their uh, posted win total is six, that's that's significant. You know, that, that means that, that either we know something they don't or they know something we don't. And I think that maybe the three of us can discuss some of these and, and wonder if, uh, you know, if that's the case, if there are some that, hey, really we do have an edge here or maybe maybe this needs to be further evaluated. Maybe we need to, to slow down a little bit, make sure all our numbers are correct, make sure you know, the formulas are correct, whatever. I did actually go, uh, I found one of the 39 looked like it was going to be a, a two win difference. And turns out I had two of the, uh, I had a, I had a, uh, you know, a, a plus where a minus should be in, uh-huh. in uh, a two win, you know, uh, two uh, game projections. And, and so uh, that ended up coming down to just a 1.1 basically. So, you know, it, I have gone through and, and made that first round of uh, making sure I didn't just, totally screw something up but you know they they do i think still one you know we're looking for for some value because i think what we do has value uh but two you know make sure we're we're doing it correctly and make sure our our process is uh as as good as it can be before we make a decision one way or the other on some of these by the way i'm looking at DraftKings uh right now uh in arizona which I don't think I know we've passed uh, sports gambling uh, here in Arizona, but I don't think it's active until August. But I see all the lines, so um, I, so I'm guessing it's. A I New could Hampshire just be thing. screwing something up, or or uh, yeah, or or maybe I'll for whatever the, reason I'll put the link in here. The lines, so. they've got uh, team futures for uh, the national championship winners, some conference uh, winners, division winners, and then to reach the big 12 championship game, but no winter right after that. See, so. I got national champion conference winner division winner to reach conference final and then regular season win total. Mm. The tab just isn't there for you. Not there for me. So. Okay. I'll, I'll I don't put know if it's in me our... personally. Maybe, maybe I'm not allowed. for. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, we've heard you. We know your IP address. You can't do this. So, uh, but I, I dropped the link in there. Xavier, your thoughts on win totals are, uh, you know, you've already bet a, a couple hypothetical dollars on some win totals here, but yeah, uh, I mean, it, one game is an enormous difference, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I'm ecstatic for win totals because personally I get caught up in the numbers. Sometimes the, the, the point, the, the percentages, the point four threes or the point six fours, and that really can come in handy at the end of the year, especially with the team, you know, maybe finishing on seven wins. If you bet 7.64, you might be in trouble, you know? So for me, this is, you know, so it's made me apprehensive, especially when we talk about some of these win totals on what I'm going to do, because, you know, the roundup feature is a scary thing for me. 
seeing as though I'm very like serious about the bets that I make as far as like I'm pretty confident. And so if a team ends up having seven instead of eight, I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to yeah. be hurt. Yeah, I mean, it, it does really, especially when uh, at the end of the year, these are sometimes what I will call reflective bets. Because if you mm-hmm, make a bet for mm-hmm. a weekend and you know you don't get it, all right, that sucks, you move on. But if you bet North Carolina to win 10 and they lose two games by a field goal or uh, two in overtime or something like that, and you just see these missed opportunities – it can make you bitter, and I know this from experience. So um, mm-hmm. I still hate Roy Jones Jr. a lot because I bet a bunch of money on him to beat Antonio Tarver, and not only did Tarver knock him out in the third or fourth round or whatever it was, but I was in the bathroom when it happened, and I paid oh, for the fight, and I man. lost all the money. So yeah, that just made me, you know, one of my worst betting moments I think I've ever had in my life, but. Uh, Nick, let's start out with some of these teams here and you've highlighted a couple, like we said, there's 39 and I think you've posted this list on Patreon, right? Uh, already have have you posted this on Patreon or no? Uh, we haven't yet, but I can probably post it and throw it up there tonight just so, yeah. So our, our, uh, kind and, and generous Patreon supporters have it if in case it is helpful to them. Right, so you can see all the teams on Patreon if you want to go check it out, patreon.com slash CFP Winning Edge. We'll talk about a couple teams here. The first one, like I said, is North Carolina, and this stands out uh, huge. I think this is one of the bigger differences that we have here, Nick, right? Yeah, so North Carolina we've talked about before. I'm sure we are going to talk about them a lot this year because our early projection on North Carolina uh, – looks like you know we see them more as a top 30 team not a top 10 to 15 type team and so i was not at all surprised to see you know that they were on this list i was surprised quite honestly to see that the uh listed win total at at DraftKings was 10 i mean 10 is a lot of wins and and remember we're not you know this doesn't take into account the conference championship games this does not take into account any bowl games this is just your 12 regular season games and North Carolina 10 and two, you know, is is it possible? Absolutely. Is it probable? You know, our, our numbers don't really see that. We see North Carolina more as an eight and four team. And I have, have mentioned that I think, you know, perhaps we're a little bit low, but even if we split the difference, you know, our, our projection officially is 7.72 wins uh, totaling up all the, you know, projected win, probability for each individual game and you know that that gives us a little bit of a cushion so I mentioned that I was hesitant uh last week to bet Virginia Tech you know against North Carolina in the opener I kind of want to see you know how how will North Carolina uh replenished uh you know a lot of the skill position talent that they lost to the NFL but I think this win total I think that's a big enough difference that I feel relatively confident and and it's a big enough number North Carolina you know 10 wins that uh, it's just on its own so difficult to achieve really for any team that I I think I think there's a little bit of value there so that that is certainly one right out of the gate that I think you know uh, maybe maybe we are low on North Carolina but even if we are uh, you know 
I mean, you'd have you'd have to be still a some big, room there for Aaron. Yeah, it'd yeah, we'd have, have to be, to be a way big hack hack yeah. and miss uh, for ten wins to you know uh, under eight that that uh, CFP winning edge has here. Xavier, we talked about North Carolina a little bit last week, and uh, you know, uh, it was one of the ones that I pointed out specifically because. Sam Howell's great. He's a Heisman contender, first overall, you know, uh, draft contender, all that stuff. But he lost his top two wideouts and his top two running running backs. backs. Yeah. So that's, you know, just take that into account, not even counting offensive line or anything on the defense. That's a lot of pieces to go into a new season without. Absolutely. And so I really like this bet because of that fact. I think that no matter how good you are as a quarterback, you're going to struggle with a new set of skilled players. Um, and it's going to take some time for continuity. And they don't have really any time to get that continuity, even before seeing you know a formidable opponent. We talked last week about Virginia Tech being their first game of the season. And I think that into itself also hurts the 10-win the, the, the possibility because for me, it helps when the team is able to get, you know, its footing by playing, you know, maybe some FCS opponents, some low division two or low division one opponents and things like that. It's not easy to start your season with a, you know, with a in-conference rival, you know, especially on the road as well. So for me, I think that hurts. They get some of their bigger games as well on the road too. I think that hurts their chances too. They, they have to play Notre Dame on the road this year too. They have to play Pitt on the road. Uh, and those are never easy games to come out of. And I just think it's going to, you know, there's no real, quote unquote cupcakes on their schedule. You know, you would say maybe Georgia State is the hardest is the worst quote unquote team, maybe them and Wofford coming into the year. And, you know, those aren't walkthrough games in my opinion. You know, maybe you know more more so Wofford than Georgia State. But their their schedule doesn't really, you know, you know, you don't have too many like, oh, they'll just coast and they'll right. coast through a part of their schedule whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh these are all little factors and and I mean like you said, Nick, 10 uh, is is a big number. And look, some of these books just know that, you know, North Carolina is going to be on TV a lot. People are hyped on them and Sam Howell coming into the season. So, you know, we'll bump this up to 10. A lot of people are going to bet the over because they think North Carolina is now a national title contender. And, uh, you know, we'll get we'll get bets in that way. So not every single number that you see on a line. A lot of the popular teams get a little more cushion because they're going to get bet on you know the lakers are going to get bet on the yankees are going to get bet on so i think that might be what we're seeing here with north carolina the next one is not a school like north carolina that a lot of people are going to be uh you know tuning in on a net on a week-to-week basis but temple nick we have temple uh winning uh significantly more games than what their projected win total is for. Now, Temple last year was one and six. Uh, you know, they so they come in a little bit rough here. But tell us about uh, Temple and why we have them winning more games than the books do. So this one really surprised me. I remember early, early on when I was starting to prep, you know, it was, it was a bowl season and, and the season – uh, was wrapping up and, and I was starting to look ahead, starting to get myself organized on uh, changing over our 2020 FBS team profiles to our 2021 FBS team profiles. And, and around that time, Temple had already lost half a dozen guys to the transfer portal, including you know three or four starters, former starters. And I just you know thought, man, Temple uh, didn't look good in 2020. Yeah, they had 
some injuries. Yeah, they had, uh, you know, a big COVID issue. Uh, but, man, I just think that this could be one of the worst teams in college football in 2021. And, you know, for a while, that seemed to, to really be the case when we started to, you know, uh, change over all the information to, to 2021. You know, that, that was for a while kind of how things were shaping up. But they really hit the transfer portal hard the other way. One thing about, you know, the transfer portal is why we talk about it most weeks is it goes both ways. Teams can lose players, but teams can also gain players. And, and Temple, of course, lost a, ha- a handful of guys who are moving on to, uh, you know, Power 5 programs, but they're bringing in almost just as many from Power 5 programs. They went and got Dewan Mathis, uh, quarterback from Georgia, started the season opener. Didn't look great, obviously, but talented player. Uh, if he can rebuild his confidence, he's already won the starting job over Real Mitchell there. So, you know, hopefully that gives them some uh, momentum heading into the offseason. Brought in a couple of Power 5 running backs, a couple of Power 5 receivers. The They've had to rebuild their defense a lot, but, you know, just going through the defensive line, they've got a, a transfer from Washington State, North Carolina, two from North Carolina. Kentucky. Uh, in the secondary, they've rebuilt Northwestern, West Virginia, uh, UConn, a starting corner from UConn. So they are definitely a very, very different team today than they were when I was first starting to look ahead at what their roster was going to look like in, in 2021. And they could absolutely whiff on these guys. You know, it, it, the transfer portal is a little bit of a uh, roll the dice. You don't necessarily always know what you're going to get. Most times, you know, there's a, at least a relationship with an assistant coach or, or something like that. But we've seen some teams, you know, really go hard on on transfers and, and miss. Temple could be one of those, but they have significantly upgraded their roster since, uh, you know, December, since January. So um, I think that there's reason to be uh, reason to be hopeful that that they could you know uh, stack together a, a few wins. Looking at the you know schedule, they do play Akron, who is 129th, I believe, in our rankings. They do play an FCS opponent in Wagner. Uh, you know, Rutgers is not unbeatable by any stretch. There's East Carolina on the schedule. Navy doesn't maybe look great. Another team that we're going to be talking about here in a little bit. Memphis, I think, is uh, potentially you know, expectations are a little too high. So if Temple can win the two games that that they should win, Wagner and Akron, all they've got to do is upset one more team to get to three wins. And and I think that, you know, the, the power five talent that they brought in, there's probably enough there to maybe even char, you know, make a run at bowl eligibility. We We do have them projected for more than five wins on average. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily trust that they'll be able to to get all the way there, but I think four wins is absolutely reasonable. So, you know, over two and a half, I, I, I feel decent about that. Yeah. Xavier, what do you think about temple? Because like Nick said, uh, you know, you, and you always make the point of returning garbage just makes it sing. <laughs> yes. You're bringing in a lot of big names here to yeah. temple and the schedule kind of shapes up to all, all you got to do is get to three wins. Yeah. And that's what I love so much is their schedule for me. They don't 
they play very few like juggernauts. Like, yes, they play Cincinnati, they play UCF, and, and we talked about Memphis. But outside of those three games, I don't think they're going to be coming into those games maybe as a massive underdogs. Nick hit the head about Rutgers. Um, you know, South Florida is a team that I'm not so sure they can't win that game. Let's see what Houston looks like in November. Who knows what they what they look like by that time. Navy, like Nick said, East Carolina and company. What does Tulsa look like after a year in which they played, you know, to the death in many of their matchups? Are they able to put, you know, create that same magic without guys like Zayvon Collins in the lineup? Who knows? So, like, for, for me, I think Temple is a team that people are, you know, completely crapping on because of their season last year. And rightfully so, one and six is not impressive whatsoever. But you're right. They've brought in a lot of, you know, talent that should be able to win at least three games. You know, I'm not saying they're going to all of a sudden get the bowl eligibility. I'm not going to go as far as Nick is going to go, but the numbers say otherwise. You know, uh, but I will say three wins looks more than feasible, um, especially in a year where, you know, they're going to have a, I think, what is being lost a lot in translation is the fact that these guys did not have a full offseason last year. Like for the first time in a year, a lot of these players will have the opportunity to have a spring and a fall camp and go through all of that before a season starts. That's going to lead to, I think a lot of, you know, some, some, some sleepers and some teams having more successful seasons than people uh, come into the year thinking they're going to have because of the fact that they had a full offseason of game planning to their disposal. Uh, so I think, uh, not Memphis, but Temple is going to be one of those teams that can absolutely, you know, get better than one in six last year. Three wins is more than feasible, and, and I think they will get to that. Now we're on the reverse course uh, of this with Memphis, Nick, and, and uh, you just talked about Memphis a little bit, but, um, you know, just looking at uh, the roster, returning production seems to be middling, you know, not uh, – they lost a decent amount, but not a crazy amount. Uh, they returned 70% of the offense, about uh, 60% of the, the uh, defense, or excuse me, 60% uh, of the offense and almost 78% uh, of the defense. But, uh, you know, M Memphis was rough last year, and, and the number on them right now is eight and a half. We have them significantly lower. Uh, so tell me about Memphis. Yeah, Memphis is, has, of course, you know, two years ago they were in, uh, you know, they were in a, a uh, New Year Six bowl against Penn State, and they have a, they've been a team who's been in the mix for conference championships for a while now, and they've they've sort of uh, become a well known. Hey, that's a really good Group of Five program. So. In, in a lot of ways, I'm very nervous about our current projection for Memphis, our current power ranking for Memphis, because absolutely, you know, we, we could be missing something here. But they've got a lot of turnover, you know, or, or you know, they are losing a longtime starting quarterback. Brady White wasn't perfect by any stretch, but was a solid uh, college quarterback and, and, you know, did a good job for Memphis. They have been able to, you know, produce very, you know, they've had very productive running backs in, in the past few years. Rodriguez Clark is a guy that uh, did some real good things last year. They've got some talent behind him on the depth chart. Asa Martin, former Auburn, uh, you know, uh, transfer at receiver, you know, Calvin Austin, the third, 
was incredible last year. And then Sean Dykes was one of the most productive tight ends in college football. So I think the offense, you know, they, they've brought in a couple of transfers to, to help uh, offset the loss of white. And you think with the skill position talent, they've got the offensive line was decent last year, ranked 35th in our uh, performance rankings. They also brought in a couple of transfers, former starter, uh, at center, you know, from Cincinnati, Jakari Robinson, Devonte Dobbs was one of the highest rated recruits in Michigan state history. It looks like he's going to slide in and, and maybe play left tackle. So offensively, they look pretty good defensively, you know, Quindell Johnson, former, uh, all conference player. They're really experienced in the back seven, especially Julian Barnett, followed Dobbs from Michigan State to, to Memphis. So I, I think the secondary's got a chance to be pretty good. But they they were not quite as good as the 8-3 and three record last year. They ranked 51st in our overall team performance, or excuse me, 69th in our overall team performance, 51st on offense, 65th on defense. And, you know, the, the schedule, I just, I don't, I don't love it. They open with Nichols. That should be a win. But we've got, at, at best, toss-ups in two of the other three uh, non-conference games. We expect they'll be an underdog against Mississippi State. And then, you know, Arkansas State's no pushover. UTSA, I think, has a good shot to win Conference USA. And then, you know, in the American, Xavier ran down a, a lot of the names that we'll say again here, UCF and, and Tulsa, uh, Houston. You know, they have Tulane. They have SMU. Those are not unwinnable games, but they are – not, you know, games that you expect Memphis to uh, just run away with, or at least I don't. So I see a lot of toss-ups there, and, and toss-ups, of course, can go either way. So I'm, I'm nervous that we project Memphis basically to go 6-6. Six and six. We have Memphis right now 93rd in our power rankings. To my eyes, just and, and knowing what Memphis has been the last few years, that seems much, much too low. But, you know, looking at the the talent profile, they're in the 60s and in basically all raw talent categories. They're in uh, the 80s in offensive roster strength. They're barely top 50 in defensive roster strength. And that isn't what Memphis has been the last few years. They've been a team that's been top 40 at least in, in talent uh, and creeping toward you know, a, a legitimate top 30, top 25 type program. That's not the way the roster is shaping up right now. And I didn't get a great feeling for, uh, you know, the, the coaching change last year. I, I didn't necessarily seem like they took a huge step back, but they certainly didn't improve in my eyes. So it's going to be big in, in the second year there. And with a less talented roster, you know, I, I can talk myself into, Memphis being a, a, a really good value at under eight and a half. I, I think I just have to, you know, this is one I would have to bet uh, just because the difference is, I mean, almost three, almost three wins. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this is, this is certainly one where I don't trust it all the way. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not just incredibly excited about, about betting the under here, but, but I think, I think I kind of believe our numbers that Memphis is closer to six and six than they are to nine and three. Now, whether or not they can win eight games, you know, still, if, if they get to eight, we'll have missed by a couple of wins, but we still would be on the under. So I, I think, 
I think that's a little bit of a no brainer that, that it, we just kind of have to go with it. And if they, you know, if they beat us, if, if they outperform our projection, you know, great, great for them. Hat tip, uh, right. Absolutely. But, but just, I, I kind of, I think I trust the numbers when it comes to Memphis and, and think under eight and a half is, is pretty good. Uh, you know, think we've, think we've got a bit of an edge on that one. Uh, Nick, uh, not sure if you've seen uh, Walk Hard, The Legend of Dewey Cox, but you kind of sounded like him right there. I think I kind of want it. You know, that's uh, that's what he says sometimes. So um, <laughs> uh, it, it just reminded me of it. Uh, Xavier, what do you think about Memphis, man? I mean, uh, this is one of the bigger differences on the sheet here. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm riding with Nick here for sure. I mean, Memphis did not look great last year. I don't know. You know, they are two years removed from uh, having a huge season there and going to yeah. New Year's New Year's Six Bowl. But come on, different coaching staff, different players. It's all different right now. So I'm. this is an easy under for me. Yeah, and I think Nick really hit it on the head towards the end of there where he said that this is this is really Silverfield's first year where you could consider this his guys. You know, last year, a lot of people would say, even though they had a successful year, that was still kind of Mike Norvell's team, to, to you know, to be honest. You know, you know, he still had Brady White. He still has a lot I mean, of – They didn't even finish. get to go through, you know, uh, practices and stuff nope. in the offseason. And they were still a pretty good team because of the continuity that they had already had in the previous years. This year's team, for the most part, and, and a lot of the most – in the major positions – is going to be Silverfield's guy. Obviously, there's a quarterback change. You know, there's going to be a, a turnover after losing Kenneth Gainwell. Like, there's going to be pieces that were, you know, invaluable to this team last year that are completely gone and are going to have to have other people step up in a major way to match that production. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. You know, Nick hit it around the head. Their non-conference schedule isn't cupcake whatsoever. Nickel State is not even an easy FCS opponent. They're 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 a scary team themselves. They always give people a tough game in the in uh in the fcs level and definitely when they play uh d1 teams but when it comes to you know the rest of their schedule i don't like the fact that they have to go to ucf on the road tulsa on the road arkansas state i don't like that game being on the road either i i really you know i'm, I'm concerned that if they start slow they're going to be a team that really kind of drags the rest of the year and we've seen memphis already with the talent that they've had have un you know describable losses and just you know, head scratchers that you're just like, how did they lose that game? Now what happens when they don't have that talent level and they are still, you know, in, you know, in games against teams that aren't nearly the talent as talented as they are, but, you know, still are going to come to play week in and week out. And that concerns me with a team that doesn't have necessarily the continuity level that they have had in the past. Um, you know, I think this is a seven-win ball club maybe, uh, you know, just looking at their schedule, they do miss out on Cincinnati this year. So that's a blessing for them. Uh, so they don't have to play, the, I guess, the best team in their conference. But it's still, for me, a really, you know, eerie situation, especially when I look at that, you know, that October region where they have to play Tulsa, UCF and SMU uh, from October 9th to November 6th. That's in uh, three games in four weeks. That could be where their entire season falls apart for me. Uh, you know, up until that point, they really only play Mississippi State and Arkansas State. And I think, you know, if they aren't, you know, haven't found that continuity by that point, they're going to really struggle against those teams that are going to play them hard. Uh, and I, that could be where their season falls apart. So I'm with Nick on this one. I'm going under. And, and I think Ryan Silverfield is going to have some conversations to be had at the end of the year, whether or not, you know, he can actually bring this Memphis team back to where they were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, kind of second year head coach, but kind of still a first year head coach because 2020 was so jacked up. So uh, Arkansas State here, Nick, we're 
uh, different on them. Three and a half. Uh, so uh, we have DK and other books as low on them. Uh, tell me what it is that you like about Arkansas State going into 2021. Uh, well, I'm I'm a little, in one instance, I guess I'm a, a little confused by the line. It surprised me to see three and a half. But, you know, looking back just at last year, Arkansas State was four and seven. I think they were uh, slightly different, uh, you know, kind of, in some ways, not the, the complete opposite of Memphis, but I think they were a little bit better maybe than that record would have indicated. I mean, they, they certainly didn't play great defense. They ranked 105th in our team performance uh, ratings defensively. They did have a top 50 offense and they're losing, you know, they're losing Blake Anderson, the head coach, uh, losing his offense, you know, one of two pretty good quarterbacks. Jay Adams was one of the most impressive receivers in college football to me last year. So they certainly do have a lot to replace, you know, on offense. And then the defense has to get a lot better. And and they lost argue, arguably their best, two best defensive players, Justin Rice, linebacker, transferred uh, to Utah State following Anderson. And, and then uh, Forrest Merrill was a, an undrafted free agent going to the Chargers. So, you know, that's tough when you lose – your, your two best players from a, a pretty poor unit, uh, also losing some some talented players from what was a much better unit. So I kind of get it. But I think that Arkansas State, like I said, was a better team than they appeared last year. They also have a very difficult non-conference schedule. I mean, Memphis, of course, uh, we mentioned there. I, I think that's close to a toss-up. They do get that game at home the week after they play Central Arkansas, which an FCS opponent, you know, you, you do count that as a win. Uh, it, it probably is going to be a more difficult game maybe than we think. But, you know, then you go to Washington to Tulsa, that's difficult. And then the Sun Belt is much, much improved. And, and they do play Coastal Carolina and Louisiana early in the, the schedule. So I, you know, I, I get it. it. It's, it's a very difficult start, but you know, our, our numbers one, you know, they, they also have upgraded a good bit through the transfer portal. And that goes maybe a, a little bit farther in the Sun Belt potentially just sort of the way that, that most rosters are constructed there. Uh, you know, Butch Jones coming in has been known as a, a really, really good recruiter. He's kind of revamped that receiving core a bit with a couple of uh, Power 5 transfers, Javalence Hunt from TCU, uh, Akeem Hayes from Kentucky. The defensive line, you know, they, they really uh, tried to upgrade that group as well, brought in, you know, two Power 5 transfers, one from Tennessee, one from West Virginia, also added, a, a you know, uh, a guy who played over 500 snaps at North Texas two years ago. So I, I see that there's some effort to uh, make improvements. And then also, you know, guys like Jeff Foreman and, and Corey Rucker were uh, late, uh, not necessarily late bloomers, but guys that were overshadowed early in the year because of Adams who really came on and had some huge, huge performances towards the end of the year, Rucker, especially, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a great read on Arkansas State, but three and a half seems too low. And our numbers think that this is a potential bowl team. And it's not that different, you know, not that far to get from four and seven to six and six. 
I I think that maybe our you know five point eight projected wins is maybe a touch high, but you know we knocked that down to four point eight even, and and we're comfortably over the three and a half. So uh, I I think similarly this is one that you know I'm going to have to bet, but. Uh, I, I don't have as as much confidence. I don't think in this one as I do Memphis or, or maybe even Temple. Uh, but I, I think that you know Arkansas State is is better than a three and a half win team. I, so Xavier, I think I believe it. Xavier, do you agree that Arkansas State is better than three and a half? I don't know. Um, this is one of those ones that are weird for me because when you look at you know their win projection, you talk about three point five. You know. The four wins, you know, do I think they can get above? I'll say yes. I'll say yes because I do think <laughs> that they can put Sounds it like all a together. Frustrating yes, though. Yeah, it is because when you look at their schedule, and this really concerns me. Typically, you know, when you get the big, you get they get the big guys at home, and typically, you know, you like that. But in the Sun Belt, getting more of the middling teams on the road is more of a concern because they all typically play better at home getting Georgia Southern on the road, getting Georgia State on the road, even getting South Alabama on the road, all are trap games as opposed to, you know, typically, you know, when, when you get those teams on the, you know, at home, you're like, okay, these are going to be games that we handle, uh, you know. So that's why it concerns me a little bit. I still think they're going to be able to put together four wins. I think they'll be able to beat Texas State, Louisiana Monroe, uh, Central Arkansas, and then they just have to find one more, you know, whether that's Tulsa, whether that's Georgia State, South Alabama, they just have to find one more. I think Lane Hatcher is going to be, you know, pretty good this year. And, and I think that, yes, they lost some talent offensively, but they return a lot of it, especially on the offensive line. That's, I mean, all seniors. So I think that that's going to really bode well for them uh, throughout this year. I think they'll be better, you know, better defensively in, in some regards. But I do think that, once again, they'll lean more on the offense. That's going to be a little bit more explosive uh, and a little bit more balanced, in my opinion, because of how much they're returning on the offensive line. They won't be so, so pass-happy happy as we've saw, seen in the past. Uh, you know, which led to a lot of short drives, even when they were up, which led to a lot of teams being able to kind of stay around them. Uh, so this year, I think they'll be able to be more balanced. So I think I will say that they'll get the four wins begrudgingly. I'll say it. Um, you know, it could be a really weird year with the Sun Belt this year. I think a lot of teams are going to play above what they were able to do last year. Maybe Arkansas State's one of those teams. Maybe they're not. Louisiana Tech next up on the list here. Nick, they were five and five last season. Uh, they they return a decent amount, specifically on the defense. They return uh, almost eighty nine percent of production there. And is that why we're above this three and a half number that DK has set for them? That is part of it. I mean, the the defense being pretty experienced is is certainly i think part of it i mean it wasn't a great defense last year they ranked 90th in, in team performance the offense was really very disappointing ranked 113th in offensive team performance so they were only 109th overall uh they were a bowl team a, a 500 you know team last year but they rank 88th in our current power ranking so this is this is one that I, I think I probably would pass on, even though our projections right now total six and a half wins, and, and we actually have Louisiana Tech favored in eight games. Uh, so that, you know, in, in a couple of ways, thinks, wow, you know, makes you think, wow, this is a big, big edge here on La Tech, Louisiana Tech. But they, they, 
lost some talented players. They were a different team at the end of the year. They lost their top two running backs, uh, moved on. They were seniors. Uh, you know, Justin Henderson left early, maybe for the NFL, ended up not getting drafted. I'm not sure if he's even been signed as a, a free agent. He wasn't the last time I checked. Uh, at receiver, they lost Adrian Hardy. He was in the same situation as Henderson. Uh, they lost a, you know, incredibly – talented interior defensive lineman Milton Williams who had a super product 19 production points last year in addition to that just incredible you know athleticism that got so many people excited ahead of the NFL draft where he was a third round pick uh, they lost a starting left tackle as well so they've got some significant spots that that needed attention they also lost a, a starting center uh, Cody Russi, who transferred to Houston after making 45 starts at Louisiana Tech. So, you know, I'm, I'm concerned a little bit personnel-wise there. Also, though, they do bring Luke Anthony back, who was the starting quarterback last year, had some bright spots, was a, an FCS transfer. You know, he had a, a really scary, scary-looking injury in December uh, last season in, in their, you know, regular season game against uh, TCU, I believe it was, where, you know, I, I, I haven't seen a specific update as of right now, but I would be, you know, a little bit surprised if he's back 100% by the start of next season. And I wasn't particularly impressed in the spurts that we saw Aaron Allen in last year. So, you know, I wonder a little bit about the quarterback position. They did bring in Marcus Williams from Appalachian State to be a, uh, you know, probably the primary running back, but he was in and out of the lineup at times. They brought in a couple of transfers on the offensive line. You know, that can be hit or miss. The secondary looks good. The linebacker core looks good. I think they will miss Williams up front, but I do think the defense probably will take a, a pretty significant step forward. But I don't know. I just I don't think Louisiana team Louisiana Tech is a team I can trust. Partly it's because our numbers were really really high week to week on them last year. It seemed like we were on them every week. It seemed like all three of our projection models agreed on Louisiana Tech every week, and you know they were certainly hit and miss. We didn't identify a huge consistent edge. There might have been something you know something that our numbers were just a little too high on. Uh, last season. We, in the past, have done a decent job of correcting sometimes to the point of overcorrecting and to still be on Louisiana Tech, you know, uh, two wins higher. On the one hand, I think, okay, you know, maybe, maybe we just, last year we were a little unlucky. Uh, but then on the other hand, I think maybe we just, are really struggling to read Louisiana tech. So I, this one makes me more, more nervous. I think than the others we've talked about, I don't know that I'm, I'm confident enough really to, to bet this one, even with the, the two uh, win difference, the schedule is manageable. I mean, the non-conference is, is tough. Mississippi state, SMU, NC state, and an FCS opponent, Southeastern Louisiana, but the conference USA schedule doesn't necessarily you know, scare me to the point that you think Louisiana Tech has no shot of getting to bowl eligibility. But I just don't know that I trust this team. And, and part of that is sort of the way that our numbers in some ways overrated Louisiana Tech last year. Xavier, do you have a good read on Louisiana Tech? Do you, do you have a good feeling about them? 
Absolutely not. And I think this is funny <laughs> coming from Nick because I think maybe two years ago, he would have been kind of, you know, more confident in this decision to pick Louisiana Tech. I think he's been scarred by some teams of the past. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Past mistakes. Yes, we do. And I think it would be a mistake to tell you guys to make a bet on this team. Uh, I think Nick is right on the head. This team has too many question marks for me uh, coming into this year to be certain that they're going to be essentially, you know, a bowl team, according to our projections. And for me, on top of that, I think there's going to be some turnover and some teams, especially in Conference USA, that play above maybe the potential that we thought we had, they had last year. You know, I think when I, when I say that, I think UTSA comes to mind. This is a team that last year struggled a bit, uh, you know, obviously gave us one of the best games of, I think, week zero. And then just could it kind of replicate that throughout the rest of the year? I think they'll be a step better uh, than last year. I think Southern Miss will be better than they were last year as well. Um, and where, you know, and then obviously they get the big guys. They get UAB on the road this year. Uh, their non-conference schedule is no cupcake. It's probably the hardest in which we've talked about with any team this year or, or this episode, excuse me, you know, with Mississippi State, SMU and uh, NC State on there as well. You know, so I'm, I'm really looking for where they get to that six win margin. And I don't see it. I just don't, you know, it's funny. If you, if you Google their football schedule, it, the way it comes up, the entire right side of their schedule, I would not have them winning. That features Mississippi State, <laughs> SMU, NC State, UTSA, UAB, and you know maybe the Southern Miss game, which I think may be a toss-up. And the entire left side of the schedule is, is, is a possibility for them. You know, features Southeast Louisiana, North Texas, and company. And, and so for me, I'm not comfortable saying that they'd get to 6.5 wins at all whatsoever. So I'm going to go, you know, and, and go with the. And not go with the over here and, and not go with our numbers here. And, and I'm more comfortable saying, you know, this is a four to five win ball club. And that sits well with me at night. Yeah. And and that's understandable. Let's do the last two teams together here, Nick. We've got uh, UMass, who didn't play at all last year at a one and a half. That's all <laughs> they need to hit for, for you to get that payout. But UMass is a tough watch, as we know from seeing them for a while. And then the next one is Bowling Green at the same one and a half. Uh, but we have them both projected to uh, beat this number, really double it up here, Nick. So uh, tell me about Massachusetts and Bowling Green and their win totals. Yeah, so I, I actually love one of these and hate one of these. So, <laughs> so one of these is is uh, probably I guess? the one I'm, I'm most confident in and mm-hmm. that probably means i'm going to be wrong that's just sort of the way things happen and one is the one i'm i'm absolutely least confident in but yeah can ahead. i guess you, you guess yeah yeah can i say uh i'm gonna say bowling green is the confidence pick and umass is not the confidence pick that's not correct no wow. I, I, the opposite really <laughs> wow so these are two teams admittedly you know, somewhat similar, maybe even more so than than Louisiana Tech. These are two teams that we've struggled with in the past. Two years ago, our numbers were way too high on UMass. It was it was 2019 when UMass basically was the worst defense in college football history. The year after UConn was the worst defense in college football history. And you know, our numbers. It was when we had our experience ratings too high. You know, they had a, a real senior laden roster, if I remember correctly. It, it just it, it was bad. We were on UMass every week. We were, you know, a touchdown or more, uh, you know, thought the, or our number saw like an, an edge of a touchdown or more in their favor week after week after week. And it took forever for our numbers to, to catch up and realize that, OK, 
UMass is just not good. I mean, in fact, they are very bad. And, uh, you know, I, I am a little scarred by that. And they were, you know, that team in particular, that 2019 UMass team was one that uh, was in, in the forefront of my mind when we sort of reevaluated how we were going to wait experience and, and uh, how we were going to, you know, wait certain aspects of our uh, power rankings. And it, it, you know, it paid off decently well. We didn't get to see UMass in, in a, you know, a, a big sample last year. They only played four games and, and they were blown out in each one. But I felt a little better about them specifically. And then I felt really good, you know, with the progress that we made. Uh, across the board and, and had a really solid season last year after making the change in, in how we weighted experience. So on the one hand, I'm cautious because UMass is, you know, their projected win total is uh, 1.5 or, or no, excuse me. They're, they're the posted win total from DraftKings is 1.5. They are 125th in our uh, power rankings right now. They ranked 126th or worse in team performance in all three categories overall uh, offense and defense, you know, those important stats we like to look at is basically <laughs> dead last in college football and in four of the five. I don't know why you year. have no confidence in this. So, you know, that all that said, <laughs> they also have hit the transfer portal hard, brought in power five transfers who look like they are, you know, likely to start offensively and they absolutely need it on offense because last year was, was bad, bad, bad. Uh, but what gives me more hope that UMass could be a little bit closer to a three, maybe four win team as, as we're projecting them, our projection is 3.7 wins is the schedule. And they of course are playing an independent schedule. They do have a, a a handful of uh, Power Five opponents, few ACC opponents, Pitt, Boston College. Uh, they they play Florida State. They've got a couple of tough, you know, G five opponents: Coastal Carolina, Toledo, Eastern Michigan's always difficult. But the the last handful of games are sort of basically from October 9th on. I feel I feel pretty good. They play UConn. That's a toss up. They play Rhode Island, FCS opponent. That's a toss up. Maybe actually UMass should be favored in that one. We do have them favored by double digits. They play Maine, another FCS opponent. Same situation. They also play New Mexico State, who is our 130th ranked team. Uh, and it's not particularly close. We have UMass favored. So we have UMass favored in four games. We have them favored by a touchdown or more in three of those four games. So if they, you know, if we are wildly overconfident in UMass, then they still, you know, if, if they only win half the games we think that they can win, they still cover the over. If they, you know, beat the just the two FCS opponents that they play, they hit the over. If they beat our lowest-ranked FBS team and one of those FCS opponents, uh, then then they get it. So I, I love UMass over one and a half, and they've – bit me before. I've been completely wrong on them before. Uh, it's possible that our, you know, we're, we're 
uh, a little too high on Tyler Lytle, the Colorado you know transfer who we think is uh, almost an 80 rated player in our, our individual ratings. That's significant pr- improvement over who's been at quarterback there in the past, the last couple of years. Is he really a significant improvement? You know, I, I can't say for certain, but on paper, he, he looks like he probably will be. So I, UMass, I mean, this 1.5 is is such a low number. And they were horrible last year. They were horrible on defense two years ago. So to expect a big turnaround, you know, isn't smart. But I think that they can win two games against this schedule. So I, I absolutely love UMass over one and a half. Now, Bowling Green, I don't trust at all. We can say the, the same things I just said about uh, UMass, basically. We've been wrong on Bowling Green before. They've actually recruited pretty well, and that's partly why uh, we've been too high on them. They, they rank you know, kind of middle of the pack in the MAC in a lot of uh, our talent metrics. So they do have a talent edge in a handful of games. They have the more talented uh, game, or or, excuse me, more talented roster against Murray State, an FCS opponent, against Akron. uh, And and then they're they're very close with Eastern Michigan. They're very close with Ohio, actually. And in the MAC, nobody is, you know, just miles more talented than than another team, with the possible exception of Toledo. But, you know, everybody else – in our talent edge, which is our, our projected point spread with only our talent metrics involved, you know, they would be no more than a touchdown underdog against, you know, everybody else in, in the Mac other than Toledo. So on paper, Bowling Green should be competitive, should be able to beat an FCS opponent, should be able to knock off at least one other team, but they were blown out by Akron last year. They're probably not going to, you know, give Tennessee or Minnesota a challenge. South Alabama looks improved. You know, they, they, the, the Mac, yeah, I, I think maybe they could knock somebody else off, but I am not nearly as confident as, as I am in UMass. And, and they will have to, you know, they'll have to show some, some actual real on field improvement. And I just, I just don't really trust them. I like Tyrion Stewart, the running back, redshirt freshman. They upgraded with a, a you know wide receiver transfer from Washington and Austin Osborne. Like I said, they've recruited well, but they lose one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys who were starters last year to the transfer portal. So you know, plus Quentin Morris, who's an undrafted free agent going to Buffalo. I don't, I don't trust Bowling Green, and I just, yeah, we we project three point seven wins. It's conceivable that they could get two or more, but I just, I don't trust them, and I have zero confidence in Bowling Green right now. So I, I, I personally would stay away from this one. So Xavier, let me ask you: since you thought Nick was flipped, are you flipped on this? Do you have more confidence <coughs> in Bowling Green over UMass? Or I mean, all you got to do is get to two wins with these. Yeah. Teams. So. It seems like a fairly easy bet, you know, couple breaks and you're in there. You could have won this bet really early in the season, but these are some rough teams to put your confidence in. Oh yeah. This is, these are some rough teams to put any kind of money on, even chum change. So I I completely agree there. But the reason why I had Bowling Green was to what Nick alluded to, because the Mac is typically a conference that doesn't work like football is supposed to work. You know, for me, 
Bowling Green playing in that conference and, and having the you know and, and having you know what is typically a conference that we have no idea about coming into the year. We have no idea who's going to win the conference nor who's going to be at the bottom of the conference. And for me, that's what I was thinking why Nick would go and lean towards the MAC because in that situation and it, it allows a team like Bowling Green to surprise us, to play above their potential, but also leaves the ability for some of the teams that we think are guaranteed bowl teams, like a, you know, like a Buffalo or things like that to play down and to play down, you know, week in and week out, you know, with an Eastern Michigan, they could play down. Toledo could play down against Bowling Green. And all of a sudden Bowling Green has four wins on the year. And we had no clue where that was going to happen for me. I thought it was much more like, you know, obvious that UMass was not going to probably have a win on their schedule until, they play UConn possibly October 9th, you know, and then after that, I agree. They could beat Rhode Island. They could beat Maine. They could beat New Mexico state, or they could lose to all three. You know, that's how bad UMass has been over the last couple of years. And, and you know, for me, I'm also a big confidence guy. This team's probably going to have zero confidence by the time that they even get to Rhode Island. You know, that game's not till November 6th. By then they might have one win over UConn. They might have zero wins total. You know, they, they don't have a cupcake start to the year whatsoever. And it's really difficult to see where they pick up a win outside of that UConn game before November. And by then they might just pitch up the tents and say, you know what, guys, it's been a, it's been a uh, tough year. It's not going to happen. You know, so for me, you know, I thought, you know, with the with the the question marks always that involved the Mac Bowling Green is another one of those teams that look bottom to start the year and have all these question marks, but could still end up with five wins. You know, that's just kind of how the Mac has ended up working, especially the last over the last you know four or five years, especially. So that's why I thought he was going to go with Bowling Green. Personally, I am going to go with Bowling Green here because I think the Mac is such a big question mark that I think that they can pull out a couple of these wins that we have them probably as big underdogs in. You know, and I think that every game in the Mac is a toss up. Until probably, you know, November when finally teams have kind of shown you what they're like. But by the, until then, the MAC is, a, is an up for grabs conference week in and week out. So I am going to lean towards Bowling Green being the team that I'm confident in. I'm, I won't say I'm not confident in UMass. I'm just not as confident as Nick. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it, like, it's hard to be confident in either one of those squads, but the number's so low, like, like we said. So uh, the rest of the teams can be found, as Nick had said before, on Patreon, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Uh, let's talk about some transfers here, Nick. And, you know, last week you mentioned that uh, defensive line, it was in vogue to transfer. It seems like this week it is DBs, right? Yeah, I mean, a couple of Tulsa defensive backs are... Uh, expected to get a lot of interest. I mean, one that we mentioned maybe a couple of weeks ago now, Caleb Evans uh, seems like maybe the most popular prospect in, in FBS right now. Uh, his teammate, Allie Green, also a starting corner, uh, went in uh, yesterday, I believe it was, uh, Monday, and, and sounds like he's hearing from some Power 5 teams. Earlier this week, uh, Buffalo, an all-MAC performer, another Buffalo transfer, uh, Tyrone Hill starting safety. They did bring one back. They had a starting safety uh, come back from the transfer portal. But Tyrone Hill, uh, the higher rated of the two, according to our numbers, is is in the portal. So, you know, he is uh, – Kansas, of course, is always a, a – possibility uh when we're talking about buffalo but it sounds like some of these guys are, are looking at other uh options as well 
But uh, Jarvis Ware, starting corner at Missouri, went in the transfer portal this week. He missed spring practice with an injury, but you know has a lot of experience in the SEC. And then one name that, that kind of surprised me, Boston College corner uh, Brandon Sebastian has 27 career starts, and, and he went in the transfer portal this week as well. It's, it's difficult to know, you know, uh, those guys, yeah, they've, they've been power five starters where it seems like was maybe on a, a little bit of shaky ground. I do think that Sebastian had had kind of lost a grip on his starting job by the end of the year, if I read that correctly when I was updating our, our, our information. So uh, possibly those guys are, are going to uh, stick with a power five program, but I, I kind of, you know, my, my, instinct tells me that we might see those guys uh, maybe go to a, a group of five opportunity and, and be starters, be guys that, that those program uh, programs can, can count on as starters. I'm not sure either one, I mean, of course it depends on the program, but not sure either one is, is maybe going to be super highly sought after by uh, other, you know, contending power five programs. But I think the two, G5 guys might be. It looks like Allie Green probably is is getting a lot of P5 interest. And then Tyrone Hill, I haven't seen specific, you know, offers or anything like that roll in yet. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if uh, you know, he moves uh, up slightly in, in conference competition there. But, yeah, very interesting to see uh, so many, you know, guys from the secondary this week. Seems to be the kind of the hot spot uh, for guys going in the transfer portal. These are your guys, Xavier. Uh, the, these are your guys, the uh, defensive backs. What do you think about them moving? Yeah, I mean, hey, I thought about transferring when I was in college. I don't blame any of them for transferring and trying to make an opportunity for them else, themselves else, elsewhere. DBs is one of those weird positions where, yes, there's typically three or four of them on the field at the same time, but, you know, your your, your ability to play and how much playmaking you could actually have on the game is, is really up to whether or not a quarterback thinks you aren't good. So I, I really, I, I, you know, both of all of these guys, I think moving is a very big thing for them. I'm not, I'm surprised that we haven't seen as many in the transfer portal up until this point, because of the fact that I think there's so many, and I think we talked about this last week, uh, how many big schools need secondary help, you know, or slash have really young secondaries that could, you know, definitely use a boost from having, you know, some of these guys, especially guys like, you know, Brandon Sebastian coming from Boston College who had 27 career starts in the ACC, you know, Tyrone Hill, an all-MAC performer. You know, there's, you know, <clears throat> obviously I'm biased, so I always lean on, on, on Georgia as a team, as, as the example here, but there's a ton of teams that could use help that have lost just talent, you know, year after year that, that these guys, especially at the G5 level, could come in and play right away. Uh, so I, I think it's a really big thing. I think it's great for these guys. I think there's a lot of G, I'm sorry, P5 schools that, are going to need talent on the outside to cover, you know, what, you know, passing in college football isn't going anywhere. And so the more DBs you have, the merrier, uh, the more quality DBs you have, even more the merrier. So I think all these guys moving is a great thing. What about the rest of the transfers from this week, Nick? Do you, do you like any of these interesting ones? I mean, uh, the biggest one to me that surprised me, to be honest, was uh, TJ Finley going to Auburn from LSU when they already have Bo Nix. What is he doing? Time out. <laughs> I saw what Nick posted. I, 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 you're not going to get away with that, Nick. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this out for everybody. Uh, former <laughs> LSU quarterback TJ Finley has committed to Auburn. Uh, will he take the job of future first overall pick, Bo Nix? 
And see, so, I was just so, gonna let I was gonna let no, Nick gonna explain it, so uh, because I know what it's from. You know, it's from his coach, right? So yeah, his quarterback coach uh, uh, Jordan Palmer, right, said that, that he was going to be the first overall pick. So yeah, it's uh, I I I think Bo Nix has potential. I am not a quarterback guru. I am not an NFL draft guru by, by any stretch, but you know, I know he came in as, as a five-star, right? I mean, or, or at least uh, very, yeah, very a very, very highest rated quarterback, I think coming out. Or was and he? yeah. And, and won the job as a true freshman, obviously he's better than Malik Willis. Who, <laughs> right. Uh, no, I don't, right. I, don't know that, I don't know that that's true. But, uh, yeah. So, so I, I, I have not completely given up hope on Bo Nix, though I do understand that accuracy, you know, accuracy has been an issue. I understand that just, just, you know, hasn't looked super comfortable, all that maybe gets an, you know, maybe, maybe the new offense helps. I know that's a little bit of a joke as well that, oh yeah, new offense, confidence, all that sort of stuff. I mean, we've heard that two or three times already for Bo Nix, but uh, I haven't completely given up on him. But TJ Finley is, you know, a pretty intriguing addition to that, you know, competition. One, it is competition. Uh, that quarterback depth chart was not, you know, uh, the other guys there, even though uh, there's a former starting quarterback at, at Bowling Green in the mix. Uh, not necessarily anybody that you thought, okay, they have a legitimate shot to beat out Bo Nix. There's nobody you know, nipping at his heels in practice or anything like that. Grant Loy, yeah, I mean, he's he's started nine games in his career, but former walk-on at Bowling Green, not really a, a threat there. And the, the freshmen, sure, you know, talented guys, uh, Demetrius Davis being the, the most recent signee, but still, you know, the job basically was, was Bo Nix's. You throw T.J. Finley, who started five games as a true freshman at LSU – you know, yeah, he ended up losing the job, but uh, it's an intriguing possibility. And, and it certainly is a, another talented player, uh, a, a very, you know, athletically gifted guy, huge. I mean, 6'6", 260 basically is what, he, what he's been listed at. So uh, intriguing for sure. And, and at least somebody that Bo Nix, assuming Finley is, is going to be, uh, fully eligible, which which I am assuming that basically for just about anybody until I hear differently. But assuming that's the case, you know, at least Nix is going to have to go out and and win that job over Finley. What what do you think of uh, of Finley uh, going to Auburn here? Oh, I, I, I thought it was so weird. I love it. I, I think he saw the writing on the wall at LSU in that you know that position. I think is pretty much wrapped up. And I think that last year he had his opportunities at LSU. He didn't take them. And now he goes to a school where if Bo Nix does mess up, you know, and he hasn't been the most consistent quarterback in his time at Auburn, there's an opportunity for him for, you know, there for him, you know, also TJ Finley has got multiple years of eligibility left for, so also does he wait it out and, you know, say, you know what, I'm going to be the new quarterback at Auburn. Once Bo Nix leaves, you know, who says, who's to say Bo Nix doesn't see the writing on the wall and leave after his junior year this year. And TJ Finley now takes the reins from them and has a year in the offense. Uh, so I, you know, I, and to Nick's point, and I think this is the most important thing, Bo Nix has some actual competition. I don't think Bo Nix has had some formidable competition that has actually, you know, been given the chance since his time there at, at Auburn. I think he was, he was given the job outright 
And since he's been there, it's been, you know what, Bo Nix or bust. And I think now with a guy coming in at TJ Finley, who's played at, a, uh, you know, has played at an SEC school, you know, has played in the same division. It's a little bit more of a, you know, he has to look over his shoulder a little bit more. Maybe this is a an opportunity, you know, you see sometimes in the NFL to bring in a backup, uh, a veteran backup, quote unquote, to, to make the young guy have to look over his shoulder a bit, you know, and play a little bit better. I think this is a this is kind of similar to that for Bo Nix. Hey, if you play bad, we have another option to go to. And with a new coaching regime, I do think they would actually go to that option for the first time. Yeah, uh, I you could be right. So we'll see what's going on in Auburn uh, fairly quickly. The rest of the uh, noteworthy transfers here, uh, Auburn also got uh, Kansas defensive end Marcus Harris, but lost Marco Domeo, uh, the, the cornerback. Texas A&M former wide receiver Cameron Buckley landed at Indiana. Uh, he's going to be with Ty Freifogel, Peyton Hendershot, and TJ Matthews. So Michael Penix looking better and better every day for CFF. Uh, former Kentucky starting wide receiver Alan Daly committed to South Alabama. So Jake Bentley, who transferred in from SC, gets uh, a new target there. Miami added an intriguing offensive lineman in UNLV starter Justice Olawasan, uh, who goes to Miami, Missouri, lost a pair of cornerbacks since spring practice. Uh, uh, Jadarius Perkins uh, going over to Florida, the big one there. Michigan added uh, a big defensive tackle Jordan Whitley and uh, former Michigan five-star linebacker Jordan Anthony uh, moved over to Troy. So your thoughts on those moves, Nick? I, I, I was intrigued by a couple of them. I think Alan Daly going to South Alabama is interesting. Uh, Jake Bentley, I think I've mentioned on, on the show before, is one of the rare players that I did decide to downgrade their rating uh, just because you know he's, he's played a lot and he was a highly rated guy. But transferred a couple of times, you know, hasn't shown much, if any, real progress. So uh, I, I think that there's a possibility that Jake Bentley could be a better player than what we currently, where we currently have him rated. And you know, South Alabama has an explosive, you know, seems like a, a future uh, NFL draft pick in, in Jalen Tolbert, one of the best G five wide receivers in the country uh guy who's a, a basically a 97 rated player in our our rating so already had him already have jalen wayne uh some depth at tight end and you throw in alan daly who uh you know hasn't hasn't put up huge numbers but is a power five transfer is a big target at 6'3 200 pounds and you know just hasn't really played in an offense maybe that could make the best use of his skill set. So I'm intrigued to see what South Alabama does with him. South Alabama is a team that's on this list uh, or, or did they make the list? Yes, they, they, they are a team here that are, uh, you know, is plus or minus one win compared to, to their win total. So I think that there's, you know, some value on, on South Alabama. Uh, the other interesting one is, is, uh, Olawasan, he's from Texas, started 21 games at UNLV, has two years of eligibility. He was probably UNLV's best player. I mean, maybe Charles Williams, the running back, but other otherwise, I mean, he, he definitely was on the very short list of best players for a UNLV team that wasn't very good last year. So uh, him moving on to Miami, one, of course, Miami is is 
always, you know, the last few years been very, very active in the transfer portal. Uh, they've been in desperate need of offensive linemen for the last couple of years, have added uh, offensive linemen through the transfer portal as well. But they also bring back every offensive lineman. So uh, they are one of – it's over like 40 teams, I think. I counted it up today that, that bring back – 100% of their offensive line snaps from last year, and they continue to add uh, players into the mix because they want to fix that unit. It's been one of the most disappointing units in college football for three or four years now. They ranked 100th in offensive line uh, performance last year, and it was a pretty veteran unit then. So uh, they're getting a, a big-time performer back from injury. Navon Donaldson hopefully will be fully healthy. They have all five starters back. And then you add a, a 21 game starter and, and, you know, a, a pretty talented player in justice all soon. So uh, I, I think that he could have an impact could be somebody that, you know, they'll be able to, to maybe it won't be the best offensive line in the ACC by any stretch, but maybe it takes a small step in, in the right direction again. And, and, you know, helps that Miami team who our numbers are pretty high on. So I think that that's potentially significant. I'm not going to say it's it's the biggest news of the week, but it you know it was a name that caught my eye. It was a name that I was curious to see where he'd end up because I knew he'd be in pretty high demand. Xavier, your thoughts on uh, any of these transfers that have happened this week? Yeah, I, I really love the you know uh, Jordan Anthony committing to Troy. I, th- I think this is an I think he maybe saw what Jordan Strachan did last year, uh, going to Georgia you know going to Georgia State, being a highly touted kid that didn't it didn't necessarily work for him uh, at Michigan. You know he goes to the Sun Belt and, and can have an amazing year. Like I said, Jordan Strachan came into Georgia State, transferred in, had an amazing year, transferred back out, and went to South Carolina. So I think you know in, in a way that's what he could be using it as. Maybe he decides to stay at Troy and just you know play the entire year. Uh, or sorry play his entire tenure at Troy. Uh, but I do think this is an opportunity for him to come in, uh, obviously, at a <clears throat> at a lesser conference and maybe a lesser, you know, uh, challenge, quote unquote, and, and, you know, have a great season and then be able to move back out into the P5 level. I think that is a much better way than instead of going to the JUCO route, because it keeps you in the eye of, you know, recruiting and it keeps you in the eye of recruiters at a higher level than it is to go to JUCO, possibly sit out a year and then maybe have to move on after that. So I think we might see a lot of kids start to go from P5 to G5 and then back to P5, which may be a trend that continues to happen uh, at, a, at a higher clip in the next couple of years. And I'm going to continue to keep my eye on that. Missouri losing two corners to Florida is just weird to me, to be honest with you, uh, because it's like if you, one to Florida, one, one to, Florida, to be determined. One to, yeah. Yeah, okay. but, but two potential starters. Right. And why it's so weird to me is because it's like, for, for me, if you didn't make it at Missouri, or if, if you're transferring from Missouri, you're going to a better DB school in Florida. I get I get that they're, you know, Florida's secondary is rather young and losing some pieces last year. But, you know, in my opinion, I just think it would be better or safer to stay in Missouri, um, you know, and, and, play your time out there. But hey, if you, you know, some kids really want the challenge and, and want to test themselves against the best. And definitely Florida's not only going to have the best in terms of what they're bringing in from the recruiting trail, but also their coaching staff is, you know, when it comes to DBs is the best in the country. So that was just another weird one for me. All right. Well, with that, we are going to talk about another stat in the stat corner. This time it is net yards per pass attempt. And here is my great handoff to the one and only Nicholas Ian Allen. Nick, take it away. 
I, I, I feel like this segment might be uh, getting shorter and shorter each week, and, and that's fine. <laughs> but uh, the last few have, have been pretty simple, and, and that's kind of the idea. We're not, you know, don't it, just because a stat is considered maybe an advanced stat doesn't necessarily mean it has to be difficult to understand. Yards per pass attempt, pretty, pretty simple. And we don't even, uh, the way we use this one, because uh, at least to my knowledge, none of our, our uh, smart friends out there have, have gone through and put this one uh, to, to adjust it for garbage time and, and all of that. So we do use raw yards per pass attempt. I know uh, Sport Reference has uh, an adjusted yards per pass attempt, but for whatever reason, uh, Sport Reference is kind of difficult for me to access. My computer doesn't like it, it starts to act a little funny. So uh, I, that's maybe a me problem. But uh, so so we use raw yards per pass attempt and, and it's, you know, just what it describes. How many yards do you gain each time you throw the football? And, and it's uh, in a lot of ways an explosion, uh, an explosion stat. Um, you know, does your offense attack down the field? Does it have playmakers that can break, you know, get yards after the catch or, you know, maybe are you dumping it off to the running backs often because guys aren't getting open or, or, you know, short crossing routes just to kind of, uh, dink and dunk down the field, what have you. But, uh, the, the reason that this made our important stats list uh, again, I rely on some smart people, and I'm not super in tune with the NFL, but uh, I know the name Bill Barnwell. I've respected, you know, a lot of what he's had to say in the past, and and uh, seems like a pretty smart guy. And, and was reading through a list a few years ago that that he put together uh, of the stats that matter most in the NFL. He made a great case for yards per pass attempt and called it quote, the simplest individual metric uh, with which to judge quarterbacks. So I was looking for something that we could really, you know, hone in on a quarterback skill set and figured, hey, this is simple enough. We'll do it. On the flip side, you know, yards per pass attempt allowed. We've talked about before that Bill Connolly, among other people, have done studies to show that defensively, you know, the, the passing game is most important when you're talking about returning production and things like that. Stopping, you know, uh, stopping opponents passing attacks are uh, very important. We've found that passing offenses, it is more, uh, you know, advantageous on the whole, on average, to throw the football more than uh, you run the football from an expected points uh, perspective, which we'll talk about in later weeks. But on the flip side, stopping the pass just as important. So again, on the net, we think uh, has some value here. So yards per pass attempt minus uh, yards per pass attempt allowed. We get, again, some very, very familiar names in the top 10. Alabama last year and BYU basically were neck and neck in all of our important categories. They both had a net yards per pass attempt of 4.3, which is just absolutely ridiculous almost or what more than uh, three quarters of a yard higher than the next closest uh, who was Western Michigan, then Kent state, coastal Carolina, Oklahoma, all of those teams had three or more. And then you take it down uh, uh, just a little bit to North Carolina at 2.6 uh, shared that spot with Ohio state, 
Arizona at 2.5, and then Oregon rounds out the top 10 at 2.3 net yards per pass attempt. On the flip side, you know, some really bad teams. The, the bottom 10 uh, had uh, 2.6 or more to the negative. That's New Mexico, Northern Illinois, UNLV, Arizona, UMass, Kansas, Temple, Utah State, ULM, Akron. That's probably the 10 worst teams in college football last year. I mean, how many wins are in that list? Temple had one. New Mexico had two. Uh, Akron had one. That's about it, right? So, I mean, that, that to me, shows, hey, we're, we're actually singling out at least the worst teams in college football. And there's, there's value to knowing the bottom 10, in my opinion, just as much as, as the top 10. So uh, all of these, you know, all 130, of course, are, are listed in our FBS team profiles, both on the team page and on the uh, ratings and, and rankings page. So you can see all of them at once. But going back to the goal board, we've talked about a couple of weeks now. I'm looking for a top 10 offense, and so we're looking for an offense that's going to average 9.3 or more yards per pass attempt. Really, if I'm looking at a box score, 10 is is probably what I would shoot for, but 9.3 would get you in the top 10 last year uh, offensively. Defensively, you want to hold opponents to 6.3 or less. So, you know, that was the the top 10 mark last year. Again, you know, maybe we push it just a little bit, give us a nice round number, shoot for uh, six or or less. And, and, you know, that gets us basically anything over two and a quarter on the net is is going to meet our goal. So uh, we'll put that again aside and, and we'll take a look next year. We'll go game by game, team by team, and, and try to chart uh, who's hitting these benchmarks. But yards per pass attempt, you know, on the whole, uh, studies have shown, at least at the NFL level, that it is among the most highly correlated stats to uh, wins, basically. And so, you know, seems natural to think that that would carry over to college football and and at least looking at the margins or not the margins, the edges, uh, the tails last year, the top 10 and the bottom 10 among the best teams in college football and among the worst. So I think it's pretty good, even if we have to settle for the raw uh, numbers right now, hopefully eventually we'll get a, our hands on a, uh, a set that, you know, isolates garbage time and, and things of that nature. But still, you know, just as it is, I think is uh, pretty, uh, you know, can, can, can shed some light on on teams who's excelling uh, in the passing game and and you know helping keep opponents in check uh, in the passing game as well. And that's what we're here for. We're here to shed some light on this stuff, like Xavier's hair. So uh, you guys should check that out. Remember, you can find us all on the Twitter machine. I am at Bogman Sports. Nick is at CFB Winning Edge, and Shelton Benjamin there is at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.